0: Welcome to the Disruptive HR Podcast. If you want to do HR differently and are looking to improve your skills and influence, why not check out our website, disruptivehr.com. So, hello and welcome to a disruptive HR podcast where we look at how the HR profession is being disrupted. And today, my co founder of Disruptive HR, Karen Moran, and I, Lucy Adams, we're going to be talking about a particular topic of succession planning. And I think, Karen, succession planning is one of those areas that the idea behind it is good. Yeah perhaps the execution <laughs> isn't always so good. as effective as it might be. I think it's one of those areas that we've kind of over-engineered. It becomes more about the process. And so in today's podcast, what we wanted to do was just to have a look at what the, the trends are that we're seeing with succession planning and how people and companies are doing it really differently Um so should we kind of kick off with our yeah, let's do it. our own horror, horror stories? stories. <laughs> let's do some horror stories of succession planning. And um, oh, I've got loads, but I think the one I want to pick out is when we were doing succession planning when you and I were both at the BBC, and we went through this enormous exercise. And kind of every senior leader and even kind of middle manager had a succession plan, which had about four or five people of potential successors for each of their roles. So it was enormous. It took ages to do. And what was fascinating was when you looked at it, nearly every potential successor, whether that be ready in two years or ready in four years, because we had all of these categories as well, they all came from within the existing team, so there was kind of no sense that either that anybody from any other team could add any value, anybody from externally could add any externally could add any value, um, but also the idea that the role probably wouldn't change that much. You know, it was kind of this sense that it would just carry on. So my kind of feelings about that exercise was that a it just took forever. And when it came to it, was it really adequate in recognising that the world will change, roles will change, and that people from outside that existing team could add real value? And I, I don't think it did.
1: What about you? Do you have a yeah, heart? Yeah, I do. I do. So I can remember going through this exercise when I was working in this organisation, it took us Months uh, with we were working with the executive to look at their kind of their successors, and it took a long time, but we had a beautiful chart at the end of yeah, it. They're always beautiful, beautiful. aren't they? <laughs> and um, we were really happy with it, even though it took a long time and it was painful to go through the exercise. And I think a lot of the time, as you said, we would be looking at the names on that chart and thinking. Mm, is that is that it? You know, is that really, is that just because you want to give them a promotion rather than because they're right for the role? But in this situation, there actually a new CEO came in. And of course, as often happens when a new CEO comes in. They had a massive shakeup, uh, wanted to restructure their whole senior leadership team, bring people in from outside, et cetera. And when we came to look at our beautiful plan, you know, we showed him our beautiful plan, and said, here we go, we got it all sorted. He had a totally different view of who those successors should be. And not one person on that plan got promoted into an exec role. So I think that was for me the first time that I realized that <clears throat> this was just, you know, A pointless exercise, really, because it's a because succession again is a point in time, isn't it? It's not something you can kind of plan, you know, months and years ahead.
0: No, it's interesting. Actually, I was talking to the HR director of a a big tech company, and she was saying that they again, like us, had gone through this very detailed succession planning exercise, and then two years on, at the point where these successors should have been taking the roles, forty percent of the exec roles had actually changed because the world had just moved on. So I think what we're saying is that there's, you know, the way that we've done succession has tended to be overly bureaucratic, not really recognizing that things move and change so fast. And it becomes more about the paperwork and completing the boxes than having something that's really useful for the business Um, But I think it can have value in certain situations that, you know, we've just over engineered it. But when, in your view, can it be useful?
1: I think when we do it um, in an emergency. So I think that's got to be a hygiene factor, hasn't it? And I think that's why we get confused because often the successes that we're looking for, if someone gets... We always used to say if they get hit by a bus, but it just seems such a horrible thing to say. (laughs) That's so so negative, isn't it? Yeah, I remember one of our clients said, what about if winning the lottery? And we thought, yeah, yeah, that's much nicer. That's much nicer. And so if someone in the team wins the lottery, who is going to be there to make sure that things don't fall over? And often, actually, it's not the number one. It's often the number two roles, isn't it? The ones that have those kind of big operational roles they're the kind of the emergency if if they went things would start to kind of crumble so yeah. i think it's a good thing to keep things ticking over to have your emergency successors and that's just good
0: governance isn't yeah, it absolutely. you know good good absolutely. governance yeah. and you say a hygiene factor and and it doesn't necessarily mean that the person who takes the emergency successor role is going to be the long term successor no. But it's about business continuity, keeping the business ticking over. And as you say, it tends to be those big operational roles, um, the kind of the ones that report into the C-suite rather than the most senior roles. You can usually kind of manage without them for a while. Yeah. Um, so I think that, yeah, it does make sense. But equally, um, we've over-engineered it. So if we put the kind of emergency successes to one side, and have a look at the longer term successes. I think, you know, you and I are both aware that there are some really interesting, fresh approaches happening. And I think it's worth just calling some of those out. Yeah. I think the first thing for me is that it doesn't always have to be that you have your successes identified for specific roles. So I think there's a, we're seeing this kind of emerging concept of the subs bench, to use a sporting analogy. And the subs bench is, you know, filled with those individuals that are showing that they have the ambition and the capabilities to take on a leadership role or a bigger role in the future. And I think having your subs bench, not having them allocated to specific roles within timeframes, but a kind of healthy subs bench, I think is a really good thing to have. Um, I think the other trend that we're seeing is this move away from the mini me's on succession plans you know we've all seen it haven't we you know that you go to a leader and you ask them who would be your successor's potential successors and surprise surprise they've got exactly the same cv they've got exactly the same personality and style as the current leader and i think you know actually that's a um something that we're seeing being addressed by companies I just want to call out a couple of examples So you've got um, at AXA, they have a deliberate uh, approach, which is they call looking for difference. So when they're thinking about succession, they ask themselves the question, you know, what are the skills and attributes that we don't have or that the leader doesn't have currently that it would be good to have in the future? Or what are the, the kind of personality traits that perhaps we don't have that it would make sense for the successor to have. So that kind of looking for difference. Um, and they do the similar thing at Epic Games. You know, they have something called the second look rule. So they prompt their leaders when they're doing their succession planning before they dismiss that individual as not being perfect or like them. not being like them. Exactly. Or not having exactly the same CV. They do this kind of nudging and prompting where they'll say, you know, before you dismiss them, just take a second look. So I think the subsbench looking for difference, two key trends that we're seeing. And the third one I wanted to call out is, which I think is a really interesting approach that actually was adopted by a major airline. And what they did was they did the top down succession planning in the more traditional way as we would know it but they also did an exercise where they asked people in the organization about who they would want to be led by. So it was a kind of bottom-up succession Mm, planning, which is very different, isn't it? And of course, what you get with that is you highlight, you find out about the people who are perhaps not as big egos, maybe not as adept as managing upwards, maybe not as... Charismatic as some of the people who appear on our succession plans, the ones that we would say are natural leaders. But what you do get by asking people who would you follow, who would you go to for support, who would you go to for inspiration, who would you go to for contact, you're getting people who are, in fact, great leaders, great people leaders. And they sometimes don't make it, do they, into the succession planning. Um,
1: no, they're not as maybe as charismatic. Yeah, or, are they exactly as good that. at it's, um, the political yeah. you know, games, maybe? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. So you're getting those kind of lower ego leaders yeah. who perhaps see their purpose as being to get the best from their team rather than being the single best individual contributor. So I like those approaches. Um,
1: I've got one from, um, it's Nestle. And I think this this is just lovely in the sense that it's about that mindset shift that we need that for so long, you and I spent so much time on a kind of such a small percentage of the people in our organisations about putting effort and money at them. And actually what Nestle said is, let's just imagine that everybody in the organization is ready to do something different. And if you think that of that mindset, then you come at it in a totally different way because you're all of a sudden saying, well, if everyone is ready to do something different, how can we give everybody opportunities if they want to progress or grow or learn, go up, go sideways, go down, that we're giving them those opportunities. So I really like that idea. Everyone is ready to do something different. Yeah, because you're right. We spend so much
0: of our time thinking about the so called kind of stars, the top talent. And as you said earlier, you know, potential is not something that is absolute. It's, you know, our potential kind of moves and ebbs and flows depending on our physical well being, mental well being, where we're at in our life stages. Who we're working for the job that we're doing potential really is something that is much more fluid so the idea that we do it at a point in time and that that stands for the next 2 years is just crazy um and i like the idea that instead of thinking about just that top talent we're kind of expanding our horizon and saying let us a lead, you know let's each leader think about what could everybody be doing that's different and different might mean Still doing the same job, but just getting even better at it. Yes. Um, yeah. And have you got any other examples that you've come across of, of companies doing succession
1: yeah. or yeah. really well? Definitely. I've got, um, so Spotify, I mean, I, we always follow what Spotify are doing because I think they're very progressive, yeah. their HR team. And they, like many of us in HR, realize that their succession planning focus was all around the process and less on the outcome and they of course were getting to that point where business critical roles were coming up and then they were having to go externally for that talent and it's that's the most frustrating thing isn't it when you're in HR and you're with a manager and they're saying you know I'm looking for someone to take a leadership role and you say what about someone in your team and they go Oh, they're not ready, you know, yeah. um, and because we haven't been thinking about how can we give them exposure and experience so that they are ready. And yeah. so Spotify wanted to um, look at their internal talent, um, get more more diverse talent pool um, and share talent a bit more widely rather than managers kind of holding on to people in their own areas. So they moved away from pro- process to progress So instead of focusing time on the process, they said, we just want to talk to our leaders about their talent, about sharing their talent, um, and involve them in creating that mindset of holding on to people and helping them progress in Spotify. So um, they've managed to do this. So they hold these regular kind of talks, sharing talent sessions where leaders come in and talk about their people. Um, and then what they do is they really reward the ones that share. So they kind of make a big kind of song and dance, show the career stories about people who have managed to progress their careers in Spotify in different departments, which I, I think, think
0: that's so important okay. because, you know, we often reward leaders for hanging on to talent. Yeah. But um, And we've all been there, haven't we? You know, where we've had leaders come together and you know, we've talked about who might be ready for a move, and across the organization, and they're so reluctant to offer up people yeah. who are good in their team um, because they want to hang on to them. And you know, but of course, in the end, that doesn't benefit them. It doesn't benefit the. It doesn't benefit the organization. So I think rewarding leaders who are kind of exporters of talent is a really yeah. good
1: thing. And I, then the other thing they really cleverly do is. They're they're very creative about when they're working with these managers on sort of saying, how can we help your people be ready? They give them ideas. So it could be projects, mentoring, job shadowing. So they're constantly kind of giving them sort of ideas, little nudges about how could we kind of develop these people so that they're ready, which I really like. The other example is from... um, Arium, which is a mining company, I think, and um, they were as all as we do. You know, we're emotional, aren't we? We get emotionally involved with our people, and they were saying that their managers were struggling to manage their people's careers effectively, and that they were so focused on just their own teams, they weren't thinking more broadly about the wider organisation. So they introduced this role called the manager once removed. So these were like internal talent brokers. Um, And these people had visibility of everything that was going in the organization. They weren't as emotionally involved. So they were, if you like, kind of brokering those internal moves, which I think is a really nice idea. Yeah. And and there's another one that I really
0: like, um, which is, which picks up on this idea that Actually, our leaders do like talking about their people. They just don't want to do the paperwork, the succession plans, the nine box grids, the annual talent reviews, Um, and also picking up on the idea that succession planning can't be an annual or biannual exercise. It's got to be something that we are thinking and talking about regularly. Um, And so Western Union really embraced this and introduced something called Talent Talks which is kind of one hour a month where small cohorts of leaders get together, can be done over Zoom or face-to-face, and all they're doing is talking about their people. There's no paperwork to fill in. There's no assessments. It's just talking about who might be ready for a move, who might be a flight risk, what projects have they got coming up in their organisation that might be suitable to help other people develop. Um, And what they found was that they got much more movement as a result of it because they're doing it regularly. Um, But also then the managers felt really confident about having the conversation with the people in their team because they'd got visibility of projects that were coming up. So they were able to have better career conversations. So I think that kind of Uh, paper light, process light, frequent Talent Talks is a great way of, of doing it. And, and HR can really play a role facilitating
1: that. It's so much Not more interesting. The paperwork. More. Yeah, much yeah. more interesting. But it does Absolutely. take confidence, doesn't it? Because I it think, does, yeah. you know, I know that I was guilty of it too. We kind of rely on that process because it gives us that structure and that comfort. And we kind of have to step a bit into the unknown um, when we've got no agenda, just kind of facilitating good conversations. Yeah. So just... Lucy, your view on, you know, we've obviously, we're all nicely living a bit longer, working a bit longer. We've often got very senior people who are kind of have got no intention of leaving. (laughs) Um, And then we've got all these kind of younger, you know, they're hungry, they're impatient, you know, they want to kind of move up the organization. So, what do we actually do about that? I think this is a
0: really interesting point because. All of our succession planning efforts are all based around the assumption that people are going to go (laughs) and that they're going to kindly create lots of lovely space for our people to move into. And so that we've got this natural succession coming through and the talent pipeline, but it might be that people listening to this are saying, yeah, if only I'd got those spaces for people to move into, because I've got very long serving people And these aren't bad performers. These are loyal, hardworking people, but they've just got no intention of going anywhere. And of course, the risk then is that we frustrate the people who are looking for that next step. And either they leave, which of course is bad for the organization or sometimes almost worse, they kind of stay, but they get resentful and they get stale. Um, They become, you know, so-called terrorists. So I think that Any succession strategy or talent strategy does need to look at this issue of how are we creating space for talent to move into, for that subs bench to move into. And I think there's a couple of things that we can do. Um, I think when we're working with leaders on getting them to think about it, the people in their team who might need to move on, it's always better to ask the question, which roles in your team might need to change. Because as you said, we're emotional, we're, we've we got good relationships with the people in our team, we rely on them, we know that they've been loyal and hardworking and we feel a connection to them. So, it would feel like a betrayal to kind of say, actually, in a couple of years, this person really ought to be moving on. But if we get them to think about the role, they can be a bit more dispassionate. So, that's something that we've done in previous organizations. And I think that can be a very effective way of at least getting the conversation going. Um, sometimes it can be useful to say, let's establish a norm in our organization that people will not stay in role typically, not every role but typically for longer than say five years or seven years. And I think making it the norm rather than it feeling that you're picking on individuals can be a good way of doing it. So it means that you're just being prompted to have the conversation as they come up towards that five years or those seven years, um, that it just means that it's not personal. It's not a personal attack. It's just that we expect people for the good of the organization and also so they don't get stale. Is that to something be moving you on. do
1: at the recruitment stage
0: when you're kind of hiring? Oh, it's really important to do at the recruitment stage. It can't be something you just land on people at the yeah. seven year point. I think yeah. it becomes um, something that is just established that that's an expectation. Um And then the third thing I'd say is just start early, you know, make sure you're having conversations with individuals about what's next for them. And of course it doesn't mean they have to leave the organization. Um, But it does mean that you're trying to get some movement because as you rightly say, you know, long people living longer, working longer, cost of living, they can't afford to retire or maybe they just won't don't want to sit and watch loose women all afternoon. Um, it's actually about this ability to, uh, by the way, Loose Women is a television programme for those people who might not know <laughs> it, not actually just watching Loose Women, Loose Women television programme. I suddenly realised how that might have come across. Um, you should have done it,
1: Homes Under the Hammer or something. Homes <laughs>
0: Under the Hammer, yeah. Maybe that's another one. Daytime TV is what I'm talking about, um, that people are wanting to, to live longer and work longer But the downside is, is that there may be blocking for future talent. So the earlier you can get the conversation going, because you and I have been there, haven't you, where Mm -hmm. it suddenly becomes urgent. Either the person underneath them is going to leave or they've become stale in their role. so the role has just
1: changed so much that they're not the right person for
0: it. Exactly. And then it becomes urgent. And then we end up treating long-serving, loyal employees in a way that isn't as respectful as yeah. they deserve. So yeah. I think you know start early focus on the roles that need changing um and just make it the norm so it's not personal. Mm. So I think that probably um Session planning. That's succession half an planning that succession planning half an hour yeah <laughs> so succession planning really thinking about the different ways in which we can do it differently and the good news is that there's lots happening yeah. um and you know, if you know disruptive HR, you can find uh, disruptivehr.com, loads of other examples of the ways that dis- um, processes in HR are being disrupted. Innovation is happening. Um, so, why not check us out there? But for now, great talking to you. Lovely to see you, Karen. And you. And speak to you next time. Bye okay. for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Disruptive HR. If you want to find out how you can disrupt HR, then visit us at disruptivehr.com.